You are listening to the Hello Sport Podcast. Adam, uh, there you, you go. Got got you now. G'day, it's you Tom go. here, and this is Edward. G'day, mate. How are you? Good. Real good. Beautiful, good. mate. That's thank fair. you. Thank you very much for doing this. I realise that you're a busy man, and we uh, we really appreciate having you on. No worries, but more importantly, is that tequila, that first bottle I can see there? Uh, yes, it, it is. is. It Outstanding. is. It's, it's a wonderful start. Are you a tequila man? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Love brilliant. It. Okay, we might get into that. Do you recognise that tequila? Only true vaccine. Sorry? Do you recognise that tequila or you just know that it is tequila? Yeah, Forda, what is it, Forda or something? For, yeah, that's it. Yeah, Forda It was just recommended yeah. to us just the other day and um, we haven't opened it yet, so... If it was, well, I mean, we could technically have one with you, Adam. I don't know. It is twelve twenty, <laughs> mate. Any time of the day, yeah, it's absolutely available. It's uh, it's changed our lives, to be honest with you. I was yeah. a whiskey man until recently, maybe yeah. a year ago, and now I can't drink anything else. I like it. I yeah. like it. Um, you had it. Anyway, if we can get into this into the body of the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> perfect, perfect. <laughs> we'll um and look. Punters, dribblers, we have got a particularly exciting guest joining us uh, on this week's episode of All Talk. Um, an all-timer, Eddie. We don't often have all-timers on the show. You don't all the time have all-timers. No, but, very rarely. But, but we've got an all-timer in our midst right now. We so do, us. we do. An all-timer in the one and only greatest wicketkeeper of all time, Adam Gilchrist. Coming to us from, I'm not sure we'll find out, but Adam, how are you going? Thank you very much for, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yes, good uh, g'day, gents. Uh, did you say all or old? <laughs> on there? I couldn't quite. It just broke up in there. I wasn't sure what well, you described. Well, I mean, you are. Old. Well, you're an you're an you're an older all timer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're getting older. Put it that way. Uh, I uh, yeah, very much uh, older. Um, but nice intro. Thank you. Thanks for the welcome. Uh, I'm in Perth. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, we're uh, we're we're not well. We're not technically locked away over here anymore, but we're still a little bit isolated over here. But it's always good to catch up with um, with people externally outside of WA, and uh, always good to to see you boys looking very relaxed. Yeah, typically away. Thank you very much. Now, so you do from WA, you do the breakfast show with Sen Gillian Goss, uh, Goss, sorry. Uh, yep. And then you've also got your own show, which is catching up with Gilly on SEM, which is a bit more of the long form chat like we're doing here. And you've got your Fox League commitments. How are you? Does this breakfast show run over the summer? Because I imagine getting up at Sparrow's Fart and then rolling into a day of, you know, cricket commitments would be quite taxing. If you didn't look old, you would after that. <laughs> hey, my name's Gilly, not silly. I made sure that contract runs up until the end of the footy season, and once cricket starts, I'm out of there. Smart Absolutely man. out of there. Now, um, yeah, big Timmy Gossage, he holds fort through the summer, uh, and he typically has someone come in and join him as co-host. But no, it's good fun. Good fun. I'm just, I'm a bit light touch in the po- in the uh, radio world. I'm just Monday. And Friday, so top and tail of the sports weekend. Okay. Plenty of content, and uh, as I say, if I've got a captain of the ship steering it in the form of Tim Gossage, who's very experienced campaigner and uh, keeps it nice and straight. So it's uh, been good fun. Lovely. For some reason, I thought you were coming to us from India. Have you been there recently, or have we just made that up? No, I was there this time last week. That's why I couldn't join you a week earlier, but I was over in 
back in India, my first overseas joint uh, post-COVID or post-COVID turning up. I don't yeah. think we're post-COVID yet, but um, yeah, it's good. India, nice, nice, lively place. Have you spent any time there, gents? No, no time in India yet. It's on the bucket list though, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, hear, I hear wonderful things about India. What uh, were you over there for exactly? I was there with the University of Wollongong, which I'm a, a brand ambassador, have been for about 14 years. We've been going over, oh, not just to India, but um, globally, a, a whole lot of different things that we've got on partnerships with uh, other organisations, uh, students, exchange. Um, so, yeah, we're back there. It was good. We're, we're launching wow. the fact that we're going to hopefully open a, a campus over there, which would be exciting. So are you, are you an alumni? That seems like quite a – that's a nice gig. Yeah, it, it, it's been a wonderful partnership. I I, I was uh, enrolled out of school to go to UOW, my brother's alumni, and I thought I'll follow in my brother's footsteps. But um, at the time I got accepted in to do PE teaching, I'm from a family of teachers, um, I deferred for a year and went to the Cricket Academy. I was given a scholarship down there. So I thought I'll see where cricket takes me. Uh, and 20 years later, it took me straight back to the uni, which was an interesting journey. But uh, it's a good, it is a good gig. It's a good university. And um, I suppose, as I say, without getting too boring and serious, I've realised the importance of education uh, coming from a family of teachers. So it's nice to be able to blend education, sport and India, a country that's been very kind to me. And uh, we've got a shared sort of bond of cricket. It's nice to mix it all in. How, how does it go over in India for you these days? Do you have to wear a disguise or do you sort of embrace it? Or does, you know, well, have you been forgotten? <laughs> yeah, that's, don't worry. That was, I was wondering that two and a half years. I, I was thinking, I've gone to India every year since 1996, my first trip over there and fascinating country. But I was wondering about my uh, currency and, uh, <laughs> and typically in India, you, if you've even picked up a cricket bat in your backyard, you get mobbed. So to be an international creator, they know everything. They love it. It's, it's proper religion. So I went over there and I, I was in an airport, had the face mask on, which everyone in the airport's uh, wearing the face mask and not much attention. I was starting to get a little bit disappointed, a bit frustrated. <laughs> thought maybe my values dipped, but um, finally a bloke come up and tapped me on the shoulder, turned around, he says, uh, you Gilchrist? And I said, yeah, mate. Yeah. And one of my colleagues said, oh, how'd you recognise him with the big face mask on? He said, I recognise his forehead. <laughs> uh, I don't know, my forehead's getting bigger and bigger, funnily enough, uh, the older I get. But, um, yeah, that was, that's how he recognised me. Wow. So I reckon that in the years might be a giveaway. Is it like the intensity of, of the Indian fans, I don't know whether it's because of just the sheer amount of people that live in India, but is that was there ever times where that was overwhelming or did it take a while to get used to things like that when you were going over there? No, I think... Let's be really honest. Any cricketer that's feeling a bit flat and low, all you do is go to India. It's so good for the ego. You get over there and they love you and adore you. And um, you, you're not used to it at first. It's quite exciting. It, there are parts of cricket tours when you're there where it it grinds you down. Like you you have enough of it. Mm. You just think I, I you never. I've never felt physically threatened in any you know bad way, but just the volume of people the way they can crowd your personal space. Um, they just want to get close to you and either get a, well, nowadays is a selfie. It used to be the autograph. Um, but your little sanctuary is your hotel room. And that's where you can get in behind that closed door and you just, you just lock down. But 
Of course, then you order room service and about four blokes bring it in uh, and sort of stand around for the obligatory autograph session. But So it's hard to escape, but it is um, It's fascinating. It's great. You can feel top of the world. You can feel bottom of the world and all the emotional roller coaster in between, and that's on end off the field. So it's a, it is a wonderful experience. On the tours you went over there, who was, who was the most beloved of all the players you used to tour with? Yeah, Brett Lee was until yeah. he started singing, and then um, <laughs> that sort of saw him fall away a little bit. But Steve Waugh, Mr. Wog, they called him. I think Steve, Steve was the pioneer of opening, I think, our, as a player group, opening our eyes to, to what India was all about, how to go about it, how to sort of, you know, wonderful term, embrace it and get out there and amongst it. But uh, not everyone embraced it as equally as much as Stephen. Um, the late, great Shane Warne didn't quite get there, certainly from a food aspect. You know, the uh, margarita pizza and baked beans weren't on many Indian uh, restaurants' menus, but um, but you had to find a way. And I think I think Tugger really, he was and remains so popular that he allowed us to to start to learn a little bit about India while you're there. And funnily enough, all of a sudden we, we had a little bit of success there. Was there, because they are so loving and embracing, how were they as fans when you were playing? Did it, did it like shift? You're like, holy shit, this guy was like shaking my hand and, you know, loving me. And then now we're playing a game and it's like, does their mentality change or are they all still pretty um, fun, loving and carefree during matches? But do you mean the crowd or yeah. opposition? Yeah, the crowd. Crowd, crowd uh, are fiercely um, supportive and you know um, of of India and wanting to see India win, but uh, in all in all seriousness, they just love cricket and they love the cricketers. It, it can feel hostile at times, you know, in a match, just because their desperation is to see the home team win. But and, and typically, we're all <laughs> you always felt like you're on the back foot in India, or or if you weren't on the back foot, you're only about one hour in a bad batting display. And you can lose six or seven wickets in a quick succession, and, and you are on the back foot. But now that as soon as you've, um, you know, the, the the game is over, they they just uh, the adulation for all cricketers is is pretty extraordinary. So it's it's a, it's a pretty warm, nice feeling, I reckon. Nice. How would you describe the atmosphere of those games over in India? Because sort of it seems like it's a bit of a carnival atmosphere on TV, but it's sort of hard to get a sense. Like in comparison yeah. to say England, where the Barmy Army's in full voice and the trumpets are going, that sort of thing. What's the Indian experience like? Yeah, louder, um, more. I mean, you, in a Test match, it can fluctuate, uh, and I think as a general statement, globally, Test crowds are down on what they used to be, except for the iconic series, um, Ashes, and, and maybe India and Australia out here, and, and, and a few others, but. Uh, over there in Test Cricket, you could have, have a near-empty stadium and then then Sachin would walk out to bat and all of a sudden you think, geez, that's got loud, and you look around and, and they come and use their ticket to get in. They, they would often time their use of their ticket because they you know weren't spread too um, liberally around, so they, they had to pick and choose when they actually went into the ground and if Sachin, word got out, Sachin was going into bat, all of a sudden you've got you know, 30,000 in the stadium, but and equally, if you got out, they disappear pretty quick. But um, but T Twenty IPL is just one big party. Mm. It is just loud music, fireworks. You know the dances around the ground. It's um, it's 
and and successfully done where they blended in cricket and Bollywood. Uh, so the Bollywood side of it is is seriously entertaining, uh, and that's what the whole IPL is. It is a fascinating cricket tournament to play in. Mm. Is there a concern generally in the in with cricket about? <laughs> With the success of T20s and the the I guess the different competitions around the world, and as you were saying, that uh, Test cricket crowds are down. Is there a major concern about that? And I mean, and also one day as we were sort of talking just before about how Ben Stokes has chosen the one day as as the format that he's given up due to sort of burnout. Is there a yeah. general concern that IPL or that T20s is taking over and maybe taking away from the more traditional formats? Yeah, look, I think Test Cricket will survive. Uh, one day, 50-over cricket is, will be really under the microscope. But but the, how how Test Cricket even survives in what um, how it looks and, and the layout and the, and the calendar, uh, I think cricket really is at a, at a real sort of crossroads or even at an intersection as to which way to go, left or right. Uh, you know, right let's say right turn right and it's a traditional international calendar and all the home boards remain in control of their home players or you turn left and it's uh, suddenly more like a, a European soccer stroke football, whatever you want to call it model where you are signed up with a club, a franchise and occasionally you get released to play for your country. Whether that's in a World Cup qualifier or a or a Test series, it becomes a world, you know, the World Series of Test cricket. Who knows? But um, you know, David Warner is an example. He's one of what I would imagine will be a number of players requesting to go and play in a, a tournament in the UAE, which will conflict with the Big Bash mm. this coming summer. Um, simply put, for three weeks' work, you can get three to four times the money. Uh, so. That's where Cricket Australia's got a big decision to make and it's probably where the ICC need to work out whether the international sort of bilateral series is still the way they want to go or do they let, by way of example, IPL franchises go and buy up a team in every competition of T20 mm. domestic cricket and and they have their players at just like a travelling roadshow. Uh, so it is at a crossroads. I you know, having come through the journey I went on, my my heart initially says, no, you can't compromise playing for your country. That's got to be the, the first and foremost thing. And But the, the commercial side of it now, the reality is that the dollar is going to command everyone's attention. So um, that's what it, it seems to be the way it's heading. It seems to me that when the IPL starts to, and all the franchises involved in the Indian cricket largely start to flex on the world with like, pure dollar value like yeah. that sort of reality is going to be hard to ignore right like if you're dangling a big juicy million dollar contract in front of players faces i would imagine that that's going to be a hard carrot to turn down and off the yeah. back of that do you think that that will help sort of like streamline the 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 season a little bit more because it seems at the moment like it's all over the place like you've got to choose between you know an IPL here or maybe there's like a one day tournament going on here and then there's a 21 2020 tournament there like it's it feels a bit chaotic at the moment yeah yeah that's a fair call even as a cricket lover it's a bit confusing as to what's going on who's playing where i mean yeah, and to the point where there's been uh, even Australia's done it at one point while the Test team's over about to play a Test match, there's a one day team somewhere else in the world representing Australia. Mm. India are starting to do that more and more. So confusing the fans, I think that 
showcases how in football every week you know your team's playing. You know, every yeah. weekend your team's got a and, and you can see the schedule a long way out. So yeah, that that's gonna be um interesting to see again what decision cricket administrators make. And the dollar. The one thing I'll say about that is yes, the the players inevitably are going to be drawn by the dollar and understand they've got to earn a living. And I've, I was the beneficiary of playing in six IPLs, the first six. And that was after I'd retired from international cricket. So uh, it's a brilliant tournament. I love the IPL and that that should stay there. Whether they're talking about having a second IPL later in the year, so that takes out another seven or eight weeks Jesus. of the calendar. So it's going to, going to get tougher and tougher. And this is all for commercial value, really. Yeah. Let's face it. It's, it's just for the franchise owners to get their slice of the $6 billion pie that was the TV rights. Jesus um, Christ. But, so, again, use Dave Warner as, a, as an example. He's only in that position because he's played just about 100 test matches. He's played nearly 201 days. He's built, uh, you know, a back catalogue of work that he warrants that value. I guess as a young cricketer coming in, if I was advising a cricketer, I'd be saying... Just be wary of um, chasing the dollar. David Warner did that because he loved the game and he, he just played it. And that's what I remember. You just played it. And if you got picked in a team, brilliant. To sit there and go, right, uh, I just want to get rich, <laughs> which I think everyone loves to do that. Yeah. Um, you got to still put a body of work together that, that means you're going to be able to command those fees. And so – you know, be careful cannibalising the traditional formats or the traditional pathway because as quickly as you might be headlines in a franchise, you'll be on the chopping room floor as well as if you, if you haven't, you know, enabled yourself to have a foundation of skill and talent and experience to, to survive a challenging time. Mm. Well, while we've got you talking just general cricket news, how did you see our recent performances against Sri Lanka? Uh, obviously, the first test got a win. Second one, uh, we got pumped. Um, mm. What do you think? What is there much to take from from a series like that? It's kind of it's two games. Like, do we read into anything too much, or is it just as we're talking about in this kind of clustered yearly calendar? It's just a series, and with as you know, yeah. Well, it is just a series, but it's. I guess that's what when you're in the Australian career team in the test team. It, it's an important series. Like we, you don't want to lose any series, whether it's home or away. So I think um, people might say it's a low-profile series or whatever, but that's not what my recollection was going to Sri Lanka and playing there. We knew yeah. it was it was the most important series that we had at that time. And then the next one became that, and then the next one. So Australia will be disappointed having smashed them in the first one and then been on the wrong side in the second one, but that that's the nature of the, of the beast in the subcontinent. And that's like what I said, you're only one hour away, one bad batting hour away from being on the back foot. Uh, and then you're only one bad bowling session away where you've let the others get ahead. And that's what happened. Really tough conditions, but talking to, uh, I was chatting with uh, Pat Cummins and Josh Hazelwood last week. And I sort of said, Oh, dodgy wickets, like tough conditions. And they said, oh, the first one wasn't great, but the second test wicket was really good and we just got outplayed. Mm. So you can't, you know, palm it off as dodgy 
doctored pitches. They they admitted that the, the second test match pitch was better than the first, so they probably felt like they could have achieved more in that second test. So um, nothing to read into other than it was a, a tough, hard-fought series and that the subcontinental teams play their home conditions really well. If you were to run an eye over Australia's wicket-keeping stocks, do you think that Alex Carey is going to be there into the future? Do you think there might be a change coming up? What's your read on that? Yeah, it, well, and also to that, like, yeah, is he reached a point now where he's like, is he still in a period where he can be dropped? You know what I mean? He's not like a lock. Yeah. Um, I think he's on the back of that series. He showed his you know, uh, serious value uh, as, a, as a team player, the way he contributes with the bat. Um, generally, he's really safe with his keeping, but he did miss a couple of uh, stumpings in that second test that he himself will feel he should have got. There was one or two over the course of that series that were, were tough ones that you sort of go, well, that's, that's a bonus. But there's a couple there where he, he would have thought he should have affected it and, um and that might have changed or altered the, the landscape a bit. But, uh, no, it's, it's pretty safe bet at the moment. Uh, I think he, certainly in test cricket, um, be interesting to see what happens in T20. I don't think you'll find his way back in the T20 setup once Matt Wade finishes up after the T20 World Cup. I'd, I'd say Inglis might get his nose in front there. Yeah. But, um, but for the moment, I, I don't think there needs to be too much uh, pressure put on uh, Alex Carey. He's a vital member in and around the group. His leadership is the respect and regard with which he's held around the group. So he's pretty level head, even head. He won't get too um, concerned or, or too down when it goes too bad and he won't get too carried away when it goes well. So that's what you want, consistency. Do you feel, because of the place you hold in the game and because of your, you know, I mean, your reputation precedes you as a batter, but as a wicketkeeper specifically here, do you feel like you've got to be much more measured at the way you give appraisal of performances from wicketkeepers because, you know, you're Adam Gilchrist and if you say something, it's going to be headlined straight away? Have you got to be a little bit more measured? I, I don't know. It's, it's a good point. I, I don't know if it's concern about... Um, uh, it, it becoming a headline or anything like that. I, I understand that you know anyone in any in industry or sport that's uh, had a fair bit of experience and and certainly is in the broadcast game is, is going to get quoted or mm. going to get attention. But I just try to think back to when I was playing, what I would feel um, comfortable with or, or feel accepting of by way of people's commentary or comment. And if it's, I wouldn't say I necessarily have to be measured, but I just want to make sure I think it through before I say it. And as I say, like to use the terminology, Kerry missed a couple that he would felt like he should have got. I would think that's fair and accurate. Mm. If I was playing and I had a, a tour in one particular tour in India where I missed a few and, and one or two of them were, were ones I should have got, um, you know, some people came out and said that was disgraceful. How can he miss that? And yeah, and that was people that hadn't even weird kept before. So um <laughs> sounds like yeah, sort of and I. Say, it sounds like me and Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I get that. Um, yeah, and that might be me when I'm watching the footy. Yeah, <laughs> and I yeah. I've never played a game of AFL that I remember. But um, <laughs> you know, it's you're just trying to be balanced and, and I guess I'm probably also having been out there in the middle, um, 
you just don't want to fuel it by adding more pressure by saying something too dramatic that then is going to make it more challenging for the people out there. You know, you care for these folks because I'm fortunate to get to know them and, and, and you're just trying to help them out. Is there a world, like, is it crazy that, like, where Tim Payne has any, like, sort of path back or is it now a bit like, let's just look at the next let's look at the next generation. Cause obviously like when he departed, it was for, it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't based on form. Right. So like if that, let's say Kerry got sick, I don't know, but is it, is it a, is Tim Payne even in the conversation anymore? Or is it just like next up? No, nah, he's not. Well, he's not playing any cricket. Is he? And, and I don't know what he's going to do this summer. Um, whether he's going to attempt to try and play some state yeah. cricket and, and get back in there. I, I suspect not. It, it's been a really, tough road for him and um you know he's really been uh had to deal with a lot uh publicly mm. had to deal with a lot obviously privately so i wouldn't expect uh we'll have to wait and see whether he has an appetite to play any cricket at all but i wouldn't think there'd be any um any way that he'll be even looking to try and force his way back into the top level i'd be, I'd be surprised but but that's you know as you say that wasn't a, a form thing and, yeah. and he was uh doing a terrific job in a creating sense uh, leading that team. How does it make you feel, right, when one of our wicket keepers goes to the crease and they don't score a 50 and everyone gets pissed off because, <laughs> like, you created this environment where not only did you keep your dick off, but <laughs> you could you could go out and score, like, you know, 100 off 60 balls. And now it's just, even all, the, all, all these years later, there's still a bit of an expectation that our keepers can bat really well. Because of yeah, well, they, they, they do bat well, though. I mean, they, they has, all has bat a wicketkeeper well. scored a hundred since you? I don't know if they have. Yeah. Oh, they probably have. Actually, I take that one back. or two. Haddon and Wade have got a couple, had, but had like you know, out, but, uh, not yeah, enough. Brad Haddon did a not not good enough for mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, the, the white ball, white ball cricket changed it. Fifty over cricket came in, and all of a sudden, everyone had to chip in with two facets of the game. So, but. Um, yeah, we're well stocked for wicket keepers around the country. I reckon we got we got a few there that could very well um, go on and, and produce a good Josh Phillippe, Benny Benny McDermott, uh, Inglis. You know, Carey's there. There's there's a good batch there. Yeah. Um, look, so you said you were over in uh, India um, for the. Uh, was it University of Wollongong? You said you yep. almost went to University of Wollongong, but then the bright lights of cricket came along. What was – at that stage of your life, had you been earmarked for higher honours during your sort of, you know, I guess your your teen years and stuff? Had you always been a weapon? Had you always felt like that was something that was uh, within reach for you? Uh, funny one, you know, that, that question. It's sort of like – a lot of people say, oh, when did you know you were good? Uh, and, and then it goes to, what else were you good at? And we were sitting around the change rooms once in a rain delay and we threw the question around our, the teammates, you know, what was your best other sport? And I, I sort of would say, well, not necessarily good at it, but probably my strongest other suit was maybe soccer. And then, uh, you know, Ricky Ponting said golf because he plays off scratch and we got around to Mark War and he – he, he said soccer, rugby league, tennis, golf. He named just about every sport known to mankind, but um, which tells me two things. He's a very talented sportsman and, and he was an absolute big head. But, um, <laughs> uh, but he was right. He was good at everything. Uh, I, I don't know. I never stopped to 
to assess that. Like you just you just played, mm. and like obviously it was a you know the, the old fork in the road moment again. Whether you go to university that you got into or go and commit your life and and sort of full time to cricket and, and give that a crack. Uh, I remember an English teacher telling me, you know, get focused on, you know, focus on doing something with your life, not just sport. But, and I went, well, well, that's a good incentive to go and try sport <laughs> from that, <laughs> that particular English teacher. Um, so you just sort of went about it, didn't stop to assess where you were at on the journey other than know that you wanted to get to the, uh, the next level. So if it was, if I, when I was playing my first game of first grade, I aspired just to get to the shield level, I, yeah, the ultimate dream play for Australia, but you just wanted to get to the next level and get comfortable and contribute. So didn't do a lot of self-analysis along the way at any stage, even when I made it into the Australian team, probably because I didn't really like what I saw. <laughs> that seems like quite a... That seems like uh, quite a good thing, though. Like, so was there not like sort of performance anxiety, stress, things like that that would, you know, where you, you weren't super critical of how you were going or anything? Yeah. You were just able to be quite relaxed out there. That's kind of a. I feel like yeah. there'd be, you know, a lot of there's quite an effort made these days with young players coming through and things like that to try and free them of those expectations and keep them relaxed. Whereas it seems like it came quite naturally to you. Yeah, I think so. I think it, it did. Um, and the only time I really started to fall into that mode was right near the end of my career. Um, you know, 2005, 2006, England, Andrew Flintoff in particular, got a hold of me a bit with ball in hand and created a few doubts. So, you know, to the point where I started to go, Jesus, have I bluffed my way here? You know, have they, is, it, is the secret out? Am I not that good? But, um, yeah, so fortunately I didn't have a career where I was wrestling mentally. I, I think there was a bit more little bit of uncertainty there than what I probably acknowledge, but that's what provided the edge and the incentive to keep working hard and keep preparing well. And, and when it went well, celebrating, because I reckon that the great art of celebrating might be lost in professional sport too. And, and the, and the allowance of a good celebration without then having to be accountable for absolutely everything that is out in public. Mind you, the only trouble is with the modern day professional, professional sports person they tend to want to film everything they do and then they go and release it themselves yeah. so i mean i don't think everyone in other areas was doing a lot different just no. chose not to film it yeah yeah the self-sabotage there yeah so basically what you're saying gilly is that you, you need to blow off steam yeah. in, in order to be oh. great win lose or draw in a test match i mean if you think about a test cricket game you're there five days playing you're there for three or four days prior preparing so your best part of a week to ten days of focus and professionalism and concentration. And if there's one thing Ian Healy taught me on the 1997 Ashes Tour, he was obviously the main wicketkeeper and I was reserve. He just showed me that at the end of a test, you got to let off steam, as you say. You just got to go out and find a way. And uh, and then you dust yourself off and get ready to get focused on the next one. But um, So I reckon I upheld my part of the bargain there. I reckon yeah. I did it. Was there um, a particular series victory uh, or moment that elicited the, the greatest rip and tear from you and your teammates and also wrapped in on that, who was the greatest ripper and tearer? <laughs> uh, we were a team that were very fortunate to be successful, so there was a number of celebrations, most series, in fact. But uh, uh, 
look, India in 2004 was particularly pleasing. That was like the holy grail for our era to win a test series in India. Um, as far as celebration there, it wasn't, there wasn't any particular, you know, um, high point of the celebration. It just went for quite a few days. <laughs> but uh, I do remember winning a very good test match in South Africa in Cape Town. Ricky Ponting got 100 in both innings, I think. Uh, but he certainly got 100 in, a, in the second innings chasing. And, and then he led us in our team song uh, up on the cable car up to Table Mountain. For those that have never been to Cape Town, there's a, a massive, beautiful, big mountain, Table Mountain, and there's a cable car that runs from down in the town all the way up to the top. And late in the evening... Normally you do the team song in the team change room, but he took us off piste. And uh, in fact, it might've been Langer who was in charge because Ponting was captain. And uh, anyway, we got into the cable car and someone came up with a bright idea to get on top of the cable car. And we paraded up there. Yeah, brilliant. The whole team could have been wiped out, but it was (laughs) one of the most extraordinary um, celebrations and sort of surreal feelings and, Spoiled only when Matthew Hayden decided to get naked. And, um, yeah, you don't Some need might have enjoyed that. Well, yeah, you know, we probably would have, we we would have, have encouraged that. A hundred percent. You like a bit of nudity, boys, <laughs> well, well, if it's Matt Hayden, I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you talk of this team song. Tom and I always sort of like try to run an eye over the current setup and, and try and predict who might be earmarked to take over from Gaz. What's your feeling on it? What sort of what sort of person do you need to be to lead the team song? Like, what are the the sort of the characteristics? Yeah, of, of but also like when when Hussey picked Gaz, Gaz was what well, didn't seem like he was cemented in the well, side. Well, he picked him out of. Yeah. It's one of the great calls all time. Exactly, it is. That is that's proper vision from Mister Cricket, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. He knew his stuff. I think everyone everyone was a bit. Uh, I mean, he ticked every other box. Gaz, he's just uh, heart and soul of the team. Just good bloke. No pretense or anything like that. Just um, hard worker, enjoys a celebration, isn't looking to leave the celebration early. He's a stayer. Um, so he had all the all the right attributes. But you know, the other thing you've got to be is in the team, and uh, <laughs> and that helps. But uh, so yeah, well done, Mister C. Nailed that right on the head. Who's there at the moment going down the list? It's got to be someone. You don't want to be chopping and change. You don't want to hand it to someone who's only going to be there for another year. So mm. you've got to try to have that type of vision like Huss had. Um, and it can't be someone who's captain. So she's going down that list. Uh, geez, it'd be a big, it'd be a bit early, a bit too much to bestow on young Cam Green, I reckon, at the moment. He's he's locked in now. He's yeah. gonna he's gonna be a 10-year player, isn't he? So um, but uh, what you know it's in the bowling group. Probably time to get it back. Hey, what about Alex Carey? That'd work. Well, yeah. There I mean, you go. If he starts hitting keeper, some tons. Get it back to the old days. Backus Marsh was the last wicketkeeper to do it in Test cricket, I reckon. You reckon the wicketkeepers are due again? Share well, the love. I, I was given the honour in one-day cricket for a little while. When Ricky was made captain of the one-day team, he got me to do it in the one-dayers. But he he went straight past me in the <laughs> test and went to Langer, which has been a little bit of a sore point. I reckon he can go stuff himself. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, Alex Carey. I reckon he epitomises everything about that team that's good. Okay. All right. Happy to go with Carey. Happy to go with it. Happy to do it. Straight from the horse's mouth. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, Listen, I, I wanted to know on wicket keeping, was that something that you were always in love with? Like, did you dare to, did you dream of being a wicket keeper your entire career? Or was it something where it was like no one else wanted to do it and so you put your hand up? Yeah, I was going to be the world's fastest bowler when I was really young. Uh, uh, and then I went shopping one day with mum and dad. We were in Southern Riverina, Deniliquin, a uh, small town, Danny, and we went to the big smoke of Shepparton. That was the, that, that was like the big smoke for us. Jesus and God. in the Super Kmart in the sports section, I saw a pair of wicket-keeping gloves. And I thought, wow, they look cool. So um, green and white and Santa Claus Julie came through with them uh, not long after, and uh, and that was me. Um Fell in love with wicket-keeping, Rod Marsh, hero, uh, to the point the first game I wicket-kept, I broke my nose. The ball came in. That might have been a should, might have been a hint to say don't go down this pathway, but missed the ball, broke my nose. In hospital that night, the nurse told me that Rod Marsh broke his nose the first time he ever wicket-kept. So that was... Well, there you go. Oh, we like that. That's nice. Yeah. I met Rod Marsh, obviously, later on, and... Asked him about it and he said, No, I've never broken my nose. So she was full of shit. Quite <laughs> a young kid to go on with uh go on with his career. Well, that's nice. When it comes to wig keeping as well, we we discussed this once about just the general like a day in the field of test cricket is grueling. You're up, you're down, you're up, you're down, you're up, you're down. I could see a world where in the sort of same vein as like a Pilates yoga thing, that you could develop some sort of exercise regimen where you're basically just for a hundred overs or however long just 90. you know 90 overs just up and down up and down is there legs there if we were to take the ball and run with it whether we can get you on as an ambassador is that too is that too crazy of an idea what so you're inventing a pilates program based around the movements of a weird keeper pilates-esque we wouldn't call it pilates obviously we'd call it keeping it's called keeping with Tom and Eddie, and it mimics a day in the field for a wicketkeeper. <laughs> Sounds like Chinese torture, all right. But anyway, I reckon the only prerequisite of that, I'm more than happy to look at this, but I, I do think it would be crucial to make sure that you integrate the appropriate amount of drinks breaks, and given that you, know, you need to replenish your fluids and, and keep hydrated, a couple of the uh, the beverages, one in particular that I can spot in your little uh, spirit cabinet behind you there, which I know listeners out there won't be able to see it, but whether you throw the, uh, YouTube, the video podcast out. But you're on YouTube, are we? Yeah, yeah we will be at some point eventually. But look, this is the tequila that you spotted go. as soon as we came on. You spotted the tequila, and I was incredibly impressed because I just we bought this uh, a week ago, yet to be opened, Fortaleza. Tequila, um, Reposado. And, yeah, you notice yeah. it straight away. We're, we're big on our tequilas, Eddie and I, um, have been probably for – basically, this has been the year of the tequila, I'd say, for, yeah, for you and I. 2022 is the year of tequila. 2022 year of tequila. Do you have a favourite tequila that you drink? Are you What's your – you know? Because this was impressive. You spotted that. We got a bunch of drinks under that cabinet. Yeah. No, that, that's a fine drop, that one. My favourite one, it's a little bit commercial. The, the real toffs will screw their nose up and say, oh, you've just been taken by the commercial dollar. But one called Casamigos, which is a great yeah. George Clooney's one that he sold for about $900 million. Yep. So good luck to him. Well done Obviously, to George. You know, he needed a little leg up, George. He wasn't going all that well. Tough but um, Casamigos, um, 
Don Julio is not yeah. too bad. Or the other one is one that you have to search this one up. It's called Arete. A-R-E-T-E. Okay. Arete. That's a, that's a genuine, uh, genuinely good one okay. uh, that you can find it um, well, find it somewhere. I can find it here in Perth <laughs> if you need it. But, but I think the key ingredient on top of um, the tequila is just a couple of dashes of Tabasco sauce. You have yourself a prairie fire. And I'm, I've just got to get my shares in the tequila company before I let the World Health Organization know <laughs> that that is a true vaccine. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, right. that's it. You don't One get sick. Day. We haven't been sick for ages, you and I. Technically. No, well, that's wow. a great point. Put a t- bit of yep. Tabasco, Tabasco in there. Thanks I haven't heard much. about that before. That's good. That's impressive. I'll definitely give that a go. We're also big Casamigos proponents. We are. Look, Patron, but this one we're excited yep. Had we known yeah. that you were a big tequila operator when we first came on, then I can guarantee you these would have already been poured out. But, you know, we'll <laughs> yeah. we'll have to wait till we get to meet you in person. We'll um, do that one the next time when we're in studio. Yeah, it'd be nice to sh- It would be nice to share one. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. I think that's what our future holds, don't yeah. you? Um, what else yeah. also the future holds? So we've had um, your great mate Ricky Ponting on the show as well. Um, yeah. And... You know, had a good chat with Rick. We also beat him in a coin toss. Don't want to brag, but we did. We beat the great man in a coin toss. Our best of five. He lost the first one and made us go to five. Incredibly competitive. But at Hello Sport, uh, we have a very, very illustrious group, and it is baggy green members as well. I know you have a baggy green for cricket, but this is more. This is more important. this This is more illustrious. There's only like 20 people in it. Uh, Ricky Ponting is one of them. The great Peter Volandis is another one. Um, And it's not all about big wigs. There are some regular punters who have earned their way to greatness as well. But we would like to – we've got one for you here. I don't know if the camera's picking it up. The Hello Sport Baggy Green. um, And it would be an honour for us if we would be able to induct you into the side. And obviously we'd mail one directly to – well, to SEN. I'm sure you don't want to give us your home address, but you can if you want. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look, that's – that's a pretty steady looking cap, I yeah. can see there. But yeah. Yeah. He's, he's overwhelmed. <laughs> no, that looks overwhelmed with emotion. He's, he's lost for words. Yeah. He's overwhelmed. I'd be, I'd be thrilled to be part of that 11. Any 11 oh. that's got Ricky Ponting in there, or 20, or however many you got. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I feel privileged, guys. I, I'll, in fact, you know, that, what better way to maybe you need to hold on to it until we, we can sit literally wet the baby's head, so to speak. I wet don't the mind cat's that. head. I think I think because I'd like to hand it over to you in person. It, yeah. it, it feels yeah. a bit sort of dirty, almost mailing mailing it, it. And I don't trust Australia Post anymore. We've yeah, had I too don't. much issues with merch over the years to, to, to mess with Australia Post or something. This proud. Look, price. I want to look you in the eyes, Gilly, and I want to cheers you yeah. with a with a fine tequila. That's yeah. how I want to see it done. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's where I, I don't need a speech. I don't need to hear about the history of the club, the elite club that I'm joining, and what it means to be a member and upholding all the values. No. All I need is a. Cheers, boys. Clink the glasses and bang it down. Beautiful. Beautiful. I think that's a perfect play. Oh, did you want to do one more? I want to ask one you more. one thing before you go. I just want you to make me feel better because it, it's you see it popping up every now and then and it's, it's highly concerning. Is there any risk, do you think, that they will take test cricket from five days to four? Is that a, is that Should I be concerned? Oh, uh, I reckon there's it's, – it's in the discussion, oh, I reckon. Jesus. So – well, yeah. if you have any I mean, say, okay. there's there's a whole lot that cricket needs to work out. Yeah. What direction it's going, what's important, but um, yeah, look, I, I I haven't heard it mentioned for a little while, but it, it could easily be something that they consider to try and keep it 
relevant in the in the uh, the fast pace of the other games. So um, so I'll wait and see. I hope not. I hope not. Five days is Jesus. It's the best cricket. It is it the is. best best cricket. And it's there's it's a just a built in excuse to do nothing for five days. You know yeah, what I mean? Like absolutely. it's we not that I need it. Well, we did need one. Well, but. put it this way: if in an Ashes series in Australia they took one day away, we'd be five days less. Yeah. across the summer. No, and with rain, like we don't need that. I don't need. We that. don't need that. Adam no. Gilchrist, thank you very much for coming on, mate. It was a genuinely, it was a, it was an honour to have you on. Um, Enjoy the rest of your day. Get some sleep. Breakfast radio is a nightmare. Um, and, uh, yeah, look forward to meeting you one day and uh, sharing a tequila and giving you that baggy green. Thanks, mate. Yeah, can't wait. Can't wait, boys. Good to chat. Good man. Cheers. Thanks, Gilly. Cheers, mate. Could you two just not talk anymore? <laughs>